If you have a story for Where the Road Takes Me, a place you think we should visit, or a person to meet, we certainly would love to hear from you. Jay Green, all one word, with an E at the end. Green at c103.ie is my email address. Or you can write to John Green, C103, McSweeney Key in Bandon. Last weekend, the programme was spent on Blackball Head on the Barra Peninsula, where I met up with 90-year-old native Jerry Harrington, or Jerry Blackball. This week, I pass on the strong urge to drive the Ring of Barra, which many people say has just as much to offer as the Ring of Kerry. However, this week before I leave, I stop off in the town of Castletown Bear, where I was born 21 years ago. Well, all right, I was never good at mathematics. We hear about some famous people who were born here, how fishing rebooted the town in the 50s and 60s, and the people who rightfully claimed they had worked for the BBC. So, I hope your week went well. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Where the Road Takes Me. past visits to the town and on arrival, I always looked forward to parking the car in the square, throwing back the seat and just watching people go by to see how many people I could remember and identify from growing up here. That now has become increasingly difficult because Castletown Bear has become, like many other Irish towns, very cosmopolitan. However, the first local that I apprehend is historian and Shanachie Teddy Black, who reflects for me on how the town has come through recessionary times, a pandemic, and how dependent on the fishing industry it really is. I suppose it has almost been very dependent on fishing, which is fantastic. Thanks be to God we have the fishing here, because without it, the town would have died, I'd say. When you're dependent on one resource, I think, in any area, it's very risky then if, if anything goes wrong. And uh, there's great credit due to the people who have expended that business themselves, because, as you know, the fishing started here in the 50s and was built up through you know local people initially. And the local fishermen have a lot to be proud of, really, when you look at the place today and see how many people are still employed in the factories and so on on the initial and they fought very hard for lots of things as you know we're not going to get into any political stuff with this nor anything but it is true that they have fought very hard to keep their quotas and, and without the quotas as you know yourself all of these people would be without work and little towns like this just wouldn't be here well the town like most small places as you know they've changed completely in that you don't have the single family shops as such I must say that we have, we're looking in a way that we have a family from the town that owns Super Value. It's a very, very large store today and we're very proud that the family are still there. It's, it's great to see yeah. and, and hope that they'll be very successful because, as you know, the multinationals have come into most places. The argument back along was, oh, the supermarkets take you over from the smaller shops. Now it's the multinationals. Uh, now it's the multinationals that take you over from the supermarkets. So I suppose in a sense, it's like any, any town, you know, when people build something themselves and then if there's a family to pass on, and such on it just fades away and I think that's terribly sad but that's the way life is today in most places and until we get other interests in the area where people will find they have to open up services again and this is what I was saying to you earlier today I think that Castletown is a great opportunity now it seems to me and I believe it because I've seen it over the last couple of years there's a great vibrancy here again now there's a lot of young people now have come into various committees and they've come into you know little festivals and things and they're pushing very very hard 
because they're full of enthusiasm and if they're not nurtured now and respected do you understand me that would fall away again but sure. I believe they're only at the start now and you could see it you could see it in, in lots of things that have happened around the area no restaurants opening in town and and then you have places like Breen's who, who used not you know that was lobster bar they used to do um, food but now they're, they're a very nice little rest so all of the old places are still going so all of that is very very good I think there's great hope for people here yeah. to be honest so with it, you. it has recovered dramatically well I would in say the in the last, last two years, two years yeah. now there's, there's the, the there's a business development association as well they call themselves the CDA and I know that they're doing great work as well so in fairness I think there's a lot of cooperation from around the whole of Bear as well it's becoming a, a new destination I think it's going to be very very strong destination and it might be the savings of a small place like this when you get good tourism in could be great walking you know sailing all that kind of thing How times have changed. Back when Pat O'Donoghue started his bus service, people were leaving the Bear Peninsula and emigrating to the likes of England and America. Now people are returning, and they've been joined by people of many nationalities. The Bear Peninsula has become a very cosmopolitan area. Jeff Ward and his wife Angie, for instance, have settled in nicely here. Jeff's background was in journalism in the UK. His second love, next to Angie, would be music, which he was introduced to at the age of 11, and he played in bands in the UK for many years. But when the 21st century arrived, so also did his time for retirement. Angie, who is Irish, has roots in County Monaghan, so moving to Ireland wasn't a decision that took very long to make, especially as they'd been visiting the country for well over 20 years. I love the idea because, as I say, um, we'd been visiting Ireland re- every year pretty much for, for over 20 years and we'd travelled all, all over Ireland and um, it, we always loved it here and we thought that one day when it was uh, possible that we would move here and look, look for somewhere to live here permanently, you know, when, when the time was right and that was uh, what happened. We did actually move to Clare out of Clare for a short while about uh, 10 or 12 years ago and um, we would have stayed then but unfortunately at that time we, we couldn't sell our house in England so um, we had to go back and then it took us about another eight years to get organised um, before we were able to move here in 2011. How did you come to hear about the Beira Peninsula? Well I think it heard of us actually it certainly found us it was quite strange really because as we'd previously lived in Canada Clare for a while we thought we would return to live there and that was where we were looking our intentions were to look for a place to buy there but then in 2010 um, we came over for a holiday on the Ring of Kerry for a week or so we were near Kenmare one day and we saw a sign the Ring of Bearer and although as I say we've been visiting Ireland very frequently for many years we'd never been to Bearer we didn't know what the place was like at all so we thought okay we'll follow the signpost and have a look and see what, see what the ring of bearer is like and um, so we set out and um, we followed the, the ring of bearer right away around the, the peninsula and we were absolutely stunned with the with the scenery and how beautiful it was Well, not at all far from where I went to primary or national school lies the grave of Padre Olera, which I must admit I wasn't aware of at that time. Olera was a noted Irish language enthusiast, and so accompanied by Faulkner O'Donovan from the Bearer Historical Society, we travelled to the parish of Irees and the townland of Inches, north of Castletown Bear. It was here in 1871 that Padre Olera was born. 
and as you see a lot of people never heard of Padraig Air, which is a shame especially here in his own locality of Bear because um, I think any of the type of stuff that should be told to pupils in national school and secondary school give them a, a, a sense of patriotism and love of country because that's what Padraig Air had in abundance like a lot of his generation at the time Now he was only 26 when he died was it from TB? He got TB yeah Jan it was common at that time I suppose and it ran in the family as well he had another brother a teacher in the Brandy Hall School in Castledon Bear and he also died of TB at the age of 21 Was it a large family? There was 11 in the family yeah, in the small thatched cottage here and I read somewhere there the grazing of 6 cows there were 7 boys and 4 girls his father was Petty O'Neill and his wife he was married to Maura uh, whose maiden name was Hulan and it was from Maura that Padre got his great love of the Irish language she believed all the time that parents should speak in Irish to their children and she had a great knowledge of the old Irish and um, Padraig grew up always reading books what books he could get his hands in and uh, I read somewhere as well an account of his life by Sean O'Sullivan the folklorist from Tusist uh, writing in the 1930s he wrote an article about um, Padraig that he was always seen with books in his hands even when he was eating he was reading books now his family were poor of course and they couldn't afford to send him to teach in college but he got a job as a monitor teaching here in the local Kilmacown school a couple of miles up the road here at the age of 14 apparently all the pupils loved him and he would give prizes of books then to pupils that were doing well and he would play football with him after school and everything so he wouldn't have had far to go to school here just basically just a mile or two up the road no just just a few miles across the road there in Kilmacown the old Kilmacown school Padraig O'Leary immersed himself in collecting old stories pishogues songs and poetry from his own locality at the time, there was a curate in Iris called Father Larkin, who introduced Padraig first to the new Gaelic League and its newsletter. It was called Irish Now Nagelga. I have two copies of it here myself from the 1890s. And um, Padraig started writing, sending in prose writing and poems and songs and pishogues to Irish Now Nagelga. And the editor was very impressed with him. Around that time too, there was a man called Osborne Bergen from Cork City came down from Cork he wanted to learn Irish and he went as far west as he could go and at that time of course there were a lot of, still a lot of Irish speakers here in the Bear Peninsula Osborne Bergen went on to become a professor of Irish in UCD and he was the authority in Old Irish and he wrote several books about it and um, he died in 1950 he taught Osborne Irish um, and uh, I think it was through Osborne Bergen that he brought him to Cork City. It was there that he met Douglas Hyde and Douglas Hyde brought him to Dublin where he got him a job teaching in Rat Mines and got him involved as well with the Gaelic League. Now, Padraig and Father Larkin here set up the very first branch of the newly formed Gaelic League. The first branch outside the main cities and towns was down here in Iries at that time. Back with Shanoke and historian Teddy Black, we take a drive around town. It's nice at times to reminisce on places and people that would have slipped your mind through the years. This house here was Dr. Sheila Murphy's, and the strange thing about that was that was the Surgeon General's house when the workhouse was here. People have forgotten really that there was a workhouse, there was a workhouse here, because it was a fierce thing when we were young, you'd hear older people saying, oh, you know, they were scared of going to the workhouse. And I suppose it because it had been built during the famine years, that yeah. would have been the reason. Yeah. All the effects were still yeah. there. The effects were there. There was actually people still in trouble in the 1900s here, you know. Yeah. There was areas that were considered very, very, very poor. It was always dependent, really. It's funny, it was always dependent on fishing. 
and mining and when the mining died at the end of the 1800s there was a huge exodus then again from yeah. here you know there was 11,000 people here in 1900 in the Barra Peninsula there's about four 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 and a half thousand now so a lot of people had to be fed they'd say that the miners were were uh, looked after because they had to work the mines you know yeah. so they had to be fed at least before we talk about Brandy Hall, it's worth travelling a few hundred yards north on the Durhamahen Road. Here we find Akista, or the bridge on the River Kista. It was over this bridge you would pass on your way to Castletown Bear up to the early 19th century. It's a humpback bridge that never had parapets, the reason being so laden packhorses could pass by quite easily. The remains of an old mill are close by. It's a long time since I stood here, and I'm doing so now accompanied by Faulkner O'Donovan, Secretary of the Bearer Historical Society. That's right, John. I'm sure you often played up around here when you were small and, and dipped I, your feet in the yeah, lovely... Did. The little stream here, river, is the Kista, K-I-S-T-A, so the bridge, it's the Ahakista Bridge, and it would have been the original route into Castletown or Castletown Bearhaven. This is still called the Old Road here, up by Brandy Hall. So this would have been the, the original bridge before the new bridge further down the stream, the Brandy Hall Bridge, was built in the early 1800s. A beautiful little spot. A lot of tourists come up here and sketch the old bridge and everything like that. And over to the right there, John, you can see where the water is diverted in. There was an old tuck mill there with a big wheel to operate it. Tuck mills were to shrink wool, basically. They were called tuck mills. So that, that was there up to the 1920s, I think. And um, here on the left, then you have another bit of industrial history that whole concrete thing there there was a pump in that which was used to pump water up to the new creamery up the road there pump the fresh water here up so this is the the Akista bridge it was all overgrown here up to about 15 years ago and uh, gang of us got together and cleared it back to and you have an information plaque just here as well uh, with the society the historic society up yeah. put a little plaque up there and there was a, a poem written about it then as well by D.F. McCarthy from, from the McCarthy family from the square. We have that up in the plaque as well. On Where the Road Takes Me this evening, I conclude our two-part programme from the Bear Peninsula. This evening, I'm in the town of Castletown Bear, or Castletown Bearhaven, or Castletown, as it is often referred to by locals. Whichever, we're going back there again for part two, directly after the break. <laughs> 